All right, all right, all right. We are back. Elliot Lane and Javier Jase are back together. Javi, yes. I-, I didn't see you at all last week. I haven't seen you on this show in like <laughs> two, almost two and a half weeks. I've missed you, oh, you beautiful Argentinian you. action figure. Uh, What's up? How you doing? I miss you too. Uh, not much. I was in, in Puerto Rico last week doing some work and honestly had lost my voice uh, after the conference. Uh, you know, four days of, of uh, constant uh, conversations and networking. Well, we can't do that to your to your vocal cords. So, but I'm back. How are you feeling? I'm great. You know, I'm I'm I was so energized at the event just watching you. It's like Javier's like a little ball of energy at these things. He like bounces from one stage to the other. And y'all, if you don't know what we're talking about, check out bzcannabis.com. We hosted the most dominant B2B event in the cannabis industry. However, we're mm-hmm. only gonna spend a few minutes talking about cannabis uh, because we're going to focus on another emerging market today with guests that are leading the way, paving the way, uh, that have such a really cool view of the psychedelics industry. So today we are building a psychedelic insider. And we also did write the Psychedelics Conference on the 13th. Uh, Benzinga Psychedelics Capital Conference. I'm going to drop a link for people to check out some of our content uh, from the conference after this show. Uh, for those who are interested in psychedelics, uh, we had uh, Brock Pierce yeah. and Jeremy from uh, remind me their 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 investment firm. Uh, I forget they yeah, deployed a lot Mystic of money. Ventures. Mystic Thank you. Ventures. Mystic Ventures. That was one of the most uh, I'd say highest form of positive feedback I've ever received for a piece of content uh, in my five nice. years of putting events on. Um, really, we they were really the guys. really well received. Uh, by the audience. So, um, awesome. you know, I guess, you know, people like to hear that there's some optimism from investors. Uh, you, you know, I think those investors are also, I would say they're diversified in emerging markets is how I would put it. Uh, but that said, it, it was a very, very great content all the way around. But Javier, without us going on another diatribe about our event, because Tony and I covered it last week, is there any thoughts for you, man? Any themes coming out of our event two weeks ago that you want to get off your chest right now that you're excited about for the rest of 2023? That's interesting. Yeah, I think, you know, one of there are a few, few of them, right? But, you know, I, I was pretty obsessed with this Twitter issue. Uh, the fact that Twitter showed up and, and did two separate panels or conversations at our conference speaking about cannabis in a public forum for the first time ever, it was an honor. And it also signals, right, a new era, not only for social media, but for cannabis companies in general, right? We need to start understanding that as markets consolidate and the number of consumers is more or less set, of course, people are still converting from the illicit market, there are new patients. But, you know, many companies are, 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 are in need to increase cash flow to get to EBITDA positive, right? And, and in markets where, where the demand is already set, it's important to start focusing on advertising, to drive new clients, to increase your market share, right? So I thought that was interesting, you know, as it relates to people understanding that they need to start allocating more money to Twitter, more money, why not to Benzinga and Planteo, right? Of course. But, you know, it's, <laughs> and this is not like self-serving, by the way. Like, this is something that I, that I, that I was thinking about, uh, you know, a couple of days ago. I was, I was chatting with our uh, chief operating officer at Benzinga, and he was like, okay, what are some of the conclusions? And I was like, this one was interesting, right? Understanding how you continue to gain market share 
in a market that is already set? How do you get to cash flow positive? How do you attract investments in a tough environment? Eliminate redundancies. Yeah, all of the above. Uh, absolutely, man. I think you know if you want to meet a re be a real CPG industry. Uh, these are conversations that you have to have. We'll continue these conversations in Chicago in late September, September 27th and 28th at the Marriott Magnificent Mile. Best hotel name I've ever heard. Uh, but we will be there. A lot, of, a lot of, I think, innovation, a lot of progress discussions per our colleague Patrick that will happen in, in Chicago. How do we keep mm -hmm. maturing? How do we keep taking the next step forward? Uh, and that will be the conversation there. And if you want to be involved in our psychedelics event, we will host one annually in Miami every spring. Uh, so make sure to submit bzpsychedelics.com if you want to see this past events, content, and gallery, or submit speaker forms for the next one. All that said, Javi, you get two one minute, minutes yeah. rapid fire, and then I'll add on where I want to add on to what's happening today, my friend. Um, so one you know, interesting uh, piece of news out of Maine, they are looking to allow cannabis advertising and deliveries to commercial locations. So, you know, uh, they, they, they want to add buildings being used for commercial purposes, including short term rentals. So if you're in Maine, maybe like you want to order cannabis to an Airbnb, you could uh, potentially do this. And then, you know, they, they want to allow marijuana businesses to advertise under the same rules as alcohol and tobacco products or prescription drugs. Right. They could include signs and logos promoting adult use cannabis. Uh, on the exterior, for instance, of motor vehicles and stuff like that, always with the proper disclosures. It sounds a bit like the rescheduling conversation. <laughs> uh, I wonder if more states took up this conversation, could it pressure the federal government to move quicker? Albeit, I if think there's something we've seen is like states making decisions around cannabis applies zero pressure on the federal government. It's so true. It's so true. I will say Delaware gave it a good shot. They're like, listen, we're going to do this, but we need your all support to make more money doing this. So please support us. <laughs> and so far, I don't think they got a response, which, you know, Joe Biden, that's your home state, maybe support their uh, their tax dollars. Uh, but that said, a lot of states in the news, man. Uh, Minnesota, they voted this morning. I don't think we have the results yet uh, on the House. Their, their state Senate votes on Friday for recreational marijuana. Um, so that's exciting. North Carolina should know in the next month if they're going to have medical marijuana this year. Uh, there's still a good bit of movement. New Mexico. I don't know if you saw this, but per Vengst's job report, their job growth increased instead of decreased like every other state in the union. Uh, so nice. very, that. very interesting how an unlimited license market is kind of bucking that trend uh, and creating more opportunity there for people to enter the space uh, as an employee and, and as a participant. Indeed. I have uh, three ones, free rapid fire ones. and Go for it. I'm good. What is the recommendation for after the show? Go to Benzinga.com slash cannabis and check out the latest article by Mr. Pablo Swanich, an exclusive for Benzinga about the 420 Cannabis Summit in Congress. Uh, hope for safe banking and the future of cannabis legislation. That is what it's titled. We also have MMA legend Nick Diaz uh, partnering up with cannabis technology device company Hitoki to launch a laser bong. Yes, that is correct. A laser bong. And uh, Branson, uh, Richard Branson, the billionaire, beefing with Singapore over uh, giving a guy the death penalty for a kilogram of weed. And that's absolutely insane. I covered this yesterday on Cannabis Daily. Do you know? I mean, I know you know, but y'all, I had to look it up because 
I guess I'm dumb. It's fine. I'll admit it. I had to look up how much really is one kilogram in pounds. I was like, I want to know the exact weight, the exact reason this guy is being sentenced to death. 2.3 pounds. 2.3 pounds of cannabis this guy was sentenced to death for. Uh, So you know what? Good for Branson. Good for him for Mm -hmm. for speaking out against it, uh, as we all should, because that is – that's – AT, terrible. AT is um, here in the in the chat. He's a, a, a conversion man. Two point two, two point three pounds says Mister. Oh yeah. Thomas. He, he, listen, AT is way smarter than me. It's why he helps us do this. Um, awesome, Javi. Anything else before we jump to people who are way cooler than us, my friend? Nope. We Let's are do it. ready. Who's our first guest? Uh, we're going to move playing? first to the CEO of NASDAQ-listed MindMed, MNMD. Super excited to welcome Rob Barrow to the show. Let's bring him on over. Mr. Barrow, welcome in. Welcome in, sir. How are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, thrilled to have you. you. Now, we, we were talking pr- uh, before the show. Are you calling in from New York or from Madison, Wisconsin? I am from calling in from Madison, Wisconsin. We're a New York-based company, but we've got uh, employees coast to coast and in Switzerland. And uh, we've really built up the organization through the, the pandemic and, and been able to bring in, I think, the smartest people we, we possibly could have by, by the flexibility to bring in you know, uh, coast to coast kind of organization. Absolutely. Now, Rob, you are, uh, one, I would say one of the more well-known psychedelic brands, uh, in the U S and probably globally. Tell us a little bit more, uh, about what we should know about the company. Yeah. So MindMed was, was founded in, in 2019 and there was certainly a, a huge emergence of research around the psychedelic drug class. Uh, I came into the organization at the beginning of 2021 as the head of R and D and then took over as a CEO and in June of 2021. Uh, and really since that time, we, we've really rebuilt the organization and taken it to a place where we've brought in incredible leadership at the board level and our management team throughout our R&D and development teams. Uh, we think we have a, you know, we have a laser focus on our development programs. We're developing uh, the, the psychedelic drug class, but we actually, I think one of the, the unique aspects, because we've taken a very pharmaceutical expertise and, and approach in our development programs, we're really seeking to get more out of out of the mechanism of action of these drugs. Everything, everyone hears psychedelics and you think of a particular use case, a sort of high hallucinogenic dosing, but we're exploring a number of different avenues and think that there's an opportunity much broader in the drug class that we can ultimately capitalize and, and bring to, to patients who, who desperately need the treatments. I'm going to let Javi ask the next question, but I do want to say mm-hmm. the head of R&D, I, I mean, I'm just going to say it, that uh, biotech is specifically a pharma, uh, specifically a psychedelics company. I feel like you are the CEO. <laughs> yeah, that is the entire purpose of the company outside of fundraising. Uh, I, I just, I mean, it, it was a natural step, and I think. But Javi, go ahead, man. No, man, I, I'm thinking. You know, there's a through line in, in, in this episode, right? We're we're talking with MindMet now, and we're talking with Beyond Star later about ibogaine. You know, m- m- most of the companies in the psychedelic space are focusing mostly on psilocybin and um, and ketamine. And to a certain extent, maybe MDMA, but but you know, one of the news items that that really caught my eye also because last week was Bicycle Day is you know MindMed is, is looking into LSD for major depressive disorder. Can you tell us a little bit about that? You know what's going on with your with your clinical trials, what you're expecting to accomplish here, how it works. So yeah, it's, it's you know, really early on in, in MindMed's formation, we entered into a, a broad research collaboration with Dr. Matthias Leakti out of University Hospital Basel, you know, 
the, the birthplace of, of, of Bicycle Day itself as well. And so uh, they've been doing research on this drug class for the better part of, of two decades. Anyone who's watched the Netflix series, How to Change Your Mind or read the book, Dr. Leakty's staff is, is really highlighted in the episode on LSD there. They have an enormous body of historical research and a number of ongoing studies with LSD and MDMA and a number of other molecules in the drug class. That collaboration has just yielded uh, enormous insights into you know, modern research and higher quality research. A lot of the legacy data for uh, LSD, for instance, comes from the 1950s and 60s. And we look at those data as a great historical backdrop. Hundreds of patients, you know, 20 plus studies where we're seeing effects in anxiety and depression. But really what we need is, is high quality modern evidence. Uh, we, we look at, at the collaboration with, with UHB and the recent depression data mm -hmm. as very much a stepping stone. Now, FDA requires sponsored research, so, so pharmaceutical organizations to come in uh, using regulatory endpoints, using a, a kind of the, the modern standards we require of, of drug development organizations. And that's exactly what we're doing today. We have two big studies they're going to read out by the end of this year. Uh, but when you go back in time, too, I think it's really important to highlight LSD is the best studied molecule in the entire drug class. Modern mm -hmm. research in the last few years has focused on psilocybin, as you mentioned. But uh, when you go back in time, there's over 10,000 patients in clinical trials that have been studied with LSD. A fraction of that uh, have been studied with, with psilocybin. And so when we look at what we know about the molecule, the enormous body of historical evidence that gives us optimism about the odds of success, about the, the promise that, that LSD uh, and our proprietary form of, of LSD hold for, for the future of patients. Yeah, we think it really stands out. And hopefully this year with, with two key readouts puts LSD back at the front of that pack and, and it gets a kind of leadership stance that, that we all believe it, it deserves. So my question is kind of twofold. Um, it's a bit of a state of the industry question, so I don't mean to be boring, uh, but I would like to understand a little bit about how MindMed uh, is affected by major catalysts in the space, because it feels like uh, this space needs catalysts. You know, this space, it needs a little push. And perhaps, you know, we talk about maps uh, and their, their MDMA uh, you know, progress there. Does that affect how regulators and, and you know, those looking at your data, uh, look at your LSD trials? Uh, is there, uh, more optimism that that's sparked among the investor base? I'm just curious, like, how does a catalyst like that on one compound affect you, uh, in your work on another? Well, we certainly have seen really across the board, uh, an environment where you know, we're, as an industry, I think all of us are seeking to really reshape how we're, we're taking care of patients with mental health disorders. Uh, this is really a, a transformative opportunity for those patients. And you know, it's against a backdrop where, where men, the mental health epidemic around the world, but, but particularly here in the U.S., has been you know, going in the wrong direction for, for many years, more acutely, even, you know, even worse over the last few years of the pandemic. And so yeah. uh, where we are today, the environment, the opportunity, the, the dynamics where we're really rethinking how this can be done, how, how patients can be cared for and giving mental health care treatments the, the value that they deserve. And certainly that backdrop where there's a number of organizations having success and reaching catalysts is, is very important. and something that the, the need is so massive too that we very much have a view that there's a rising tide that lifts all, all ships kind of analogy where you know, seeing additional companies be successful, seeing various programs, reach regulatory milestones, getting more evidence of effects of the, the drug class for, for instance, the serotonergic psychedelics like LSD and psilocybin, you know, 
the MDMAs of the world and, and even other molecules that have similar mechanisms of action uh, are all additive and, and supportive to the ultimate opportunity, which is to help an enormous body of, of patients and, and give providers the tools they need to actually uh, improve outcomes in, in, in mental health care populations. You know, looking at, at some other of your, your ongoing trials, you have another one on MDMA, right? I would love like some incident to that. And then like, why are you focusing on, on several different substances, right? You know, some might argue, okay, like taking a, a series of shots increases your your chances or, or likeliness of, of success in one of them, right? And and as many know, uh, clinical trials and pharma, the pharma route is, is often binary in that sense. But others might argue, okay, like, you know, maybe, maybe you know, taking on too much means you're not focused enough, right? Certainly something that we've seen and as the markets and the, the external macro environment has shifted over the last few years, we've continued to focus our programs. Uh, we really have two lead programs. One is, is our MM120 uh, form of LSD. The other is, as you mentioned, MM402, which is a, a form of, of uh, the RN antimer of MDMA. So yeah, for, for anyone who is not deeply acquainted with sort of medicinal chemistry and pharmacology, these are sort of like left-handed and right-handed molecules that, that make make up each mm -hmm. make up about 50% of, of racemic MDMA, which is what MAPS and other groups have been studying. What we found preclinically is that the RNA antimer seems to have some different properties, both in terms of how it acts at a cellular level, uh, how it performs in, in preclinical studies, and ultimately think it opens the door to really you know, broadening the opportunity, thinking of a, a new way of using the drug class. MDMA and, and some of these other molecules where we think of session-based delivery again, is really one avenue where we can see an enormous benefit. We think it's a huge potential. That's why we're studying LSD and, and generalized anxiety disorder. Uh, we also think, for instance, our RMDMA program, we're developing it more like a, a you think of a normal drug. The analogy we like to draw is how uh, psychostimulants are used in ADHD, is how we envision using RMDMA in, in autism spectrum disorder, where uh, the really the, mm -hmm. the active functional activity you see with RMDMA we believe would, would be able to, to help patients who have a, a social communication deficit and live with autism. And so looking at multiple opportunities certainly is, is key. We think there's enormous value to be able to unlocked with the entire drug class. Uh, but we have continued to focus and streamline both our, our organization and the scope of our pipeline and what we're ultimately able to take on. And as we reach more milestones and have future successes, we certainly hope to continue that momentum and build and expand our, our opportunities into the future. Do you expect any regulatory pushback uh, and or uh, lobbying issues? Uh, you know, not to compare to cannabis, but obviously like alcohols and, and pharma are big blockers of that. Uh, it, are, is the pharmaceutical industry a partner in, in this venture to protect mental health or is it a blocker? Well, certainly we think of ourselves as part of the pharmaceutical industry. That's exactly what we're, you know, biotech companies and, and earlier stage drug development companies are are there to really drive innovation. And we've seen a lot of you know, small molecules in particular that are developed from smaller companies that have successes get into later stage development and either able to take it all the way themselves and market the products or or find partners in, in the pharmaceutical industry and in bigger pharma companies who ultimately can, can help get these treatments to the patients who, who ultimately need them. That, that's obviously the, the goal at the end of the day. So uh, when we look at the landscape and the, the backdrop, both from pharma, from providers, from patients, from regulators, uh, you know, I, I can't speak for any one of them themselves, but I, I certainly think as we view the landscape, it's really attractive. And in one way, there's a big pull across the board. There's a huge interest. 
there's a recognition of the, the transformative potential of this drug class. And uh, as one of the organizations, really the only organization uh, in later stage development with, with LSD, for instance, we think with, with data, there's going to be an even bigger recognition, a bigger pull to try to bring these products closer to, to commercialization in the patients. I want to close it up with, with some, a question that, that seems like a good segue for our next guest, uh, which focuses on ibogaine and ketamine. And it's, uh, you know, one, one of the, the, the compounds you're looking into is like non-hallucinogenic, uh, well, a, a non-hallucinogenic ibogaine uh, conjure substance. What are you looking uh, into in, in, this, in this specific case? And, and why do you go for this non-hallucinogenic route? You know, that seems unusual for, for psychedelics. Uh, company. Yeah, so at, at the core, you know, as, as I think we've built the organization, we're, we're a drug development company, and we have a, a deep expertise. Uh, we've brought in some, some really talented drug developers, our clinical development and regulatory strategy who've gotten CNS you know, mental health products approved in the past. And so we think broadly about uh, you know, the central nervous system and brain health disorders as including both things that we think is mental health, but also th things such as substance use disorders and, and withdrawal from substance use disorders. Uh, we, I think you're referring to the molecule MM110 or 18MC, mm -hmm. which we, we're developing and completed a phase one study. Uh, and, and after some negotiations with FDA, we're now, now exploring additional preclinical work before we consider taking it into a phase two program. But the attractiveness of that molecule, we see uh, with ibogaine, for instance, there are some potential risks. Like with any drug, there's potential risk. But certainly as we try to, to develop uh, second and third generation molecules and overcome some of those potential liabilities and, and generate molecules that have less of a risk and perhaps the same or better efficacy profile, uh, that's what we think of in, in an enhanced therapeutic index. And that's exactly what we were seeing preclinically with the MM110 molecule. Similar potency to Ibogaine in treating uh, or in preclinical models of things like substance use disorders and, and opioid withdrawal. Uh, but a better cardiovascular safety profile for, for the prorhythmic risk that we see with ibogaine. Um, it was not hallucinogenic, which obviously opens up you know, easier adoption, broader utilization. And at the end of the day, again, helping patients is, is what we're all about here. So uh, the ability to you know, have a, a full arsenal in the, uh, available to providers, whether it be hallucinogenic molecules that, that drive rapid and sustained benefit or Know, drugs that just behave more like drugs that are based on a similar sort of structural backbone. Uh, we're open to, to that whole uh, spectrum of, of opportunities and, and saw enormous promise in each of those avenues. Fantastic. Robert Barrow is CEO of MindMed, NASDAQ Traded, MNMD. Robert, thank you for so much for joining us, and we hope to see you again soon. Thanks so much, guys. Yes, we do. Thank you, Robert. All right. That was very insightful. Um, really appreciate Robert joining us, man. Any, any, any themes you're seeing right now that, that could take us into our next interview? Or do you want to get right to it? I, yeah, no, man. Let's keep it clipping because the, I, I want to hear like the, the, the other side of, of, of this. The other you know, side. You and I yeah, the other all right. Side. Well, you can get us cited because I'm curious to, to see what you mean there. Uh, all right, Javi, who do we have next, my friend? Next up is Marco Alcorta, CEO of Piancer Wellness Group and Clinica Veneva. Welcome. Hello, Marco. guys. Hi, Elliot. Hi, Javier. How are you? We're doing, doing well, man. Doing good. So, Marco, I, I am a, a newbie to BNStar. I'd love to hear more about you. Uh, what, what is BNStar Wellness for those of us uh, who need to know? Yes, uh, BNStar Wellness is a network of clinics 
uh, we are focused on Latin America. Uh, really uh, believe that uh, in the psychedelic space, Latin America have a very a very important place because that's where all the molecules that uh, most of the molecules that everybody's talking about have been uh, have been from here. You now we have a, a culture who really have respect and use those molecules for many centuries. So we want to bring all this this movement that is happening in the US and Canada to Latin America for and for the patients of Latin America because we, we don't we really have to uh, a problem on mental health. The mental health is not just a problem in the north. It's been a big problem in countries like Argentina, Javier knows that, Uruguay, Brazil, Mexico. So we really want to bring those solutions to uh, Latin American patients. So that's what's about Beneva, no? We are doing well, our best to help uh, people from Latin America to have psychedelic treatments. I don't want to do a versus, right? There's always two sides to the story, but, but you were just uh, hearing how, how Robert was talking about, you know, mitigating some of the risks of, of, of ibogaine. And I remember last year, I heard you speak in Panama about some of this, right? Um, so how do you feel about this? Is, you know, what are some of the risks of ibogaine and, and how are you dealing with them, right? And, and, and to what extent is, is this real? You know, there was this interesting article in Newsweek about this as well. So share some of your I, thoughts there. I, I know exactly what, what is information that Robert have and why he's, he's, he say that about ibogaine. Because really ibogaine uh, have been used with not all good protocols behind them. Okay, so yes, of course. Ibogaine, if you don't use the height protocols, if you don't use ibogaine with, with, with patients that are not uh, clean, totally clean, uh, if you don't, I don't know, uh, if you don't have the right uh, of, uh, hospital environment to protect, yes, it maybe can cause you problems. Okay, that's true. But uh, we have been working, we have more than 200, 100 patients already treated. Ibogaine in our history, so uh, so is is really is what what really is happening is if you really treat well the patient, if you really make all the screening that you need to make, and you really have all the the the, the team ready to work if something won't happen, you don't have any problems. Our rate of of problems is zero uh, with all those treatments. So, yes, it's true that ibogaine is risky, but if you do the right protocols, uh, those risks will disappear. So, you know, I mean, color me a little bit of a newbie here, Marco. Uh, would not all psychedelic compounds be risky if used inappropriately? Yes, some more than others. And maybe ibogaine is one of the most risky because ibogaine... They use a lot of in, in recovery addiction. So when you're using cocaine, you're a cocaine user, like that, you have your TT interval in your heart that it is, will be more like lapse. So uh, the, the ibogaine, it will be the, this interview TT of your heart being bigger, uh, more bigger, so you can have a problem. Okay, so that's the problem ibogaine. But yes, uh, all of them have some risk. Uh, but yes, true that I know psilocybin, let's say, have a low risk, uh, and maybe MDMA have a little more risk, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So because you no, know, you put everything together, psychedelics. The psychedelics is one, is not just one part. You know, you have different drugs for different persons for different treatments. So each one have their risk. You no, 
know, and I, I don't like the I like the word psychedelics, but I don't like to 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 put all the psychedelics in the same place because they're not the same. You know, we, we, we do know that that, for instance, <clears throat> as we mentioned earlier, uh, mind medicine is working on on a, an ibogaine similar uh, compound for the U.S. Right, but I, I do know that it's not available in the U.S. legally right now. However, I have heard that that. Uh, there are places in Mexico where you can get this kind of street of treatment, right? So, you know, the U.S. is, is clearly facing a, an unprecedented opioid epidemic. People face addiction of many other kinds, you know, alcohol, cigarettes, cocaine, whatever it is, even Coca-Cola, whatever, whatever an addiction may be and, and, and affect a person differently. But, you know, I, I would ask, like, oh, why would I go to Brazil? It's, it's far, like Mexico is right next door. Uh, the big difference we have with Mexico that we do that in hospitals, in clinical hospitals, and you, we do the importation of the ibogaine through our Food and Drugs Administration, through our FDA of Brazil, through Anvisa. So Brazil have the control, the, the, the sanitary authorities in Brazil have the control of the ibogaine, and so you do that in a compliance way, in a legal way, in totally legal way. Okay, in Mexico, how they import ibogaine, we never know exactly how they import ibogaine. No. Uh, so it always have some, some uh, let's say, space of illegality in, in the in the all the, the chain of the treatment in Mexico. That's not happen in Brazil, and, and that's a big difference. You do, you're gonna do in a hospital, so you really have a problem that can happen, like rubber safe ibogaine in Brazil will be safe. So, and I guess just looking at the global opportunity, following up on that question, what is the global opportunity? right now for ibogaine you know and where your company can go and expand to or, or i guess really what are your plans for that first of all our our opportunity is the market of latin america okay we we we're we receiving a lot of patients of, of us canada and europe even the middle east but uh with all the latin american we have the enough patients to treat let's say like that okay because we are the only today's uh, company psychedelic company making treatment of psychedelics in Latin America. Because in Brazil, in Brazil, you have a lot of problems with cocaine, not not so with heroin, but with cocaine and crack, you have a lot of problems. So we are treating them. But yes, of course, our our opportunity is that, that we, we are maybe the only clinic in the world with Ibogaine doing that in the hospital environment. So that's our big opportunity. If you really want to make a totally compliance treatment of Ibogaine to treat your addiction, uh, today, your best option is being star. And that's our opportunity right now. So one follow-up to that as well. Sorry, Javi. Uh, and then you can go for a couple. Um, you know, there's some companies in Canada that have applied to produce um, these Schedule 1. I mean, Schedule 1 is a term we use in the U.S., but these very highly illegal drugs, I imagine, for safe consumption spaces. Is that something you would consider in order to reach these types of people that need your therapeutics and your medicine uh, and, you know, get them through the door? I know that they're looking for uh, a company listed with, with Ibogaine in their names. So they are looking for, they don't have right now, but they are looking for that. I don't know when they will really be ready to do the treatments or not. Okay. But we are always open to, we are very open source, like, so like that. They're open to, to collaborate, to, to have partnerships, to really work together. We think that, like I say, always the, the I, right now I'm in Sao Paulo, okay? Sao Paulo is a city with 
70 million persons. So just with the public of Sao Paulo, I don't have enough beds for everyone. No? So what we're really looking is that it's really um, put ibogaine in the really scenario to help addictions, to help people find their recovery, and really uh, put accessibility in our front page. No, let's help people. Let's make a uh, thing work because we really have a big, big problem of addiction in the world. Not just drugs. I don't say drugs, but alcohol is one the biggest one. So let's really put that together. Let's because what I what we saw of ibogaine. And that for me is really important that, that it really works. Really. Oh, I, I have saw the patients. I, it's not that someone had told me, no, I really have saw the patients coming in and getting out. So I know that a lot of people can be helped with this uh, treatment, this kind of treatment. So let's put this accessibility of this treatment for everyone. That's my idea. You know, when you look at, at, at 12 step programs, the the you know the success rate is is pretty low under twenty percent. When you look at rehab clinics, they're also pretty low. Their whole business is for you to come back or stay for for a long time, right? Ibogaine, on the other hand, has eighty to ninety percent effectiveness, but you do need to to be clean. You said that right, like like thirty days before the treatment, you need to be clean, right? And to a certain extent, that concerns me. It's 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 tough, right? That the whole issue with addiction is like, I can't stay clean, right? That is a challenge in and of itself, right? So how do you, how do you get to that point where, where you access this therapy that then, you know, works, but, but there's a huge challenge before getting to that, to that therapy, right? How, how does that work? Is there, I don't know, any help, any mechanisms? First of all, you make the screening you know, if see if you really can use ibogaine because some people cannot have the treatment. So that's the first phase, the screening. But after is the preparation phase, no? And then the preparation is those 30 days that it must be clean. You're gonna really help the patients to be clean, no? Uh, of course, that uh, there's something in psychedelics that I, I think is very important that to the psychedelics really works in the patient. The, the patient really need to want to be cured, to be safe. So in those 30 days, we're going to help you to be clean. And we're going to help you to all your, all, any problem that you can have for, for be cleaning, for abstinence. We're going to help you uh, with psychiatrists, psychological, you know, supporting you maybe with another kind of drugs to help you to, to really be safe between the 30 days. Maybe, maybe with morphine, you know, that don't, uh, don't interrupt us, our treatment. Uh, people with cocaine, I can give you benzodiazepines and other other kind of drugs to help you to really survive those, like say like that, those thirty days. But uh, when the patient are really conscious that they can really be safe with our treatments, they make the effort. You know? I our rates of success, the people that start, is very very high because when they really you know make the first step and they feel they feel comfortable and they feel supported. Our, our doctors, they, they really can do it. I know that from someone have addiction, so okay, let the drug 30 days, no? And when for an addict, the drugs is, is the center of his life, no? Yeah. So what am I gonna do if I don't use drugs? No? That's a question sometimes that uh, the, the patient have after the treatment. Say, okay, now I don't want to use drugs. What am I gonna do, no? But, <laughs> so we, you are, even the preparation and the integration after the treatment, we're helping the, the, the patients really find 
new centers of this life and not be always thinking in blocks. That's, that's, that's incredible. I have literally never thought of that. Uh, I, I mean, I don't think we've ever had somebody mention that. Just the the importance of time when it comes to, to what these people are, are trying to get over and, and where that time goes post-treatment. Uh, what yeah. an important integration step. I'm going to start asking literally every company because of you, Marco. I'm not going to give away your secrets, man, but well done to you and team. That's awesome. But that's very important. We don't, you know, we need to understand the people who have addiction. When you're using a drugs every day, all your life is around the use of this drug. When you take mm -hmm. out that, you know, it's like, whoa, what are you going to do now? So uh, it's very important to support people in this life changing that is get out of the drugs. So uh, for us, it's very important. That Super interesting. You know, to close it up, I, I you know, I, I want to understand one more thing. Sorry, Elliot, I know we're over time, but like just one, one, one quick one. It's like, okay, you, you have like 30 day preparation and, you know, you got great success rates. What is the, the, the treatment itself like, right? Uh, you tape Ibogaine, where are you tripping? You Who's with you? You, you take Ibogaine in the hospital, you get the Ibogaine at 8.30 a.m. You take the Ibogaine. Um, so you have the first 35, one hour. That is, now you have a little nausea. It's like a, a confusing time. After the hour of treatment, you have, uh, your mind is very accelerated. Now you have thinking a lot of things, image that coming, etc. That period take a lot of time. Now you're going to be in this period until 4 p.m. And after 4, 5 p.m., you start to integrate those images of your childhood, of your life that you have saw during the trip to your not life, real life, no? real, to present life, let's say like that. And you take, and you still there in this integration process, let's say like that, until the night. And the other day, if, every, if everything's okay, you are get out of the hospital and you go to the hotel, those near the hospital. You're gonna be survived by our drug doctors, but you're gonna be in, in a comfortable bed in a hotel, uh, waiting your flight back home. Wonderful, Marco Lagorda, CEO of BN Star Wellness. Really, really appreciate your time. You shed a lot of light on this. I, th I think a good subject for us to really have a baseline education on. But I I'd really love to have you back on and, and see how you grow, see how you expand, see the effect you're making. Uh, but we appreciate you taking the time to be here with us. Thank you, Elliot. Thank you, Javier. It's an honor. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time. <laughs> Wonderful. My seven-month-old, if you can hear in the background, absolutely oh, loves Ivo Gate. I got yeah, to meet she's... her in Miami. I'm so happy. Uh, she has, I got like, she... the cutest pictures. Oh, I love her. I'm gonna we'll show, her we'll show a collage to you guys sometime. Uh, not that anybody's interested except for Javi and I. Uh, but all that said, awesome, awesome Psychedelics Insider episode here. Uh, ventured away from our normal guests, but we have plenty more on Thursday. Mm -hmm. Javi, we are talking with the two head honchos of Green Check Verified. Very important uh, company when it comes to capital flow, when it comes to banking, when it comes to financial services. Kevin Hart and Brett Puffenbarger are going to be with us to chat about to. all of that. Super excited. If you're going to be in MJ Unpacked in New York City this week, I will be there tomorrow. Look me up. Let's hang out. Uh, I'm excited to watch some content and support cannabis events. Very Fun. important to professionalize and standardize this industry. Outside of that, Javier, last thoughts to you, my friend. Always a pleasure. 
benzinga.com slash cannabis get your daily dose of cannabis news go read maureen yelena nina uh, nico uh joanna avuk uh, go read lara for psychedelics it's uh, just benzinga.com slash cannabis go bookmark it subscribe to your newsletter follow us on social media you all yeah, the newsletter looks good it's gotten a makeover over the past few months. Oh, if you yeah. have not subscribed to our Benzinga Cannabis Daily Newsletter, you should do it. Because I got to tell you, and I say this biasedly, but I do try and say this unbiasedly. <laughs> it is definitely the best newsletter in the cannabis industry, without a Ooh. doubt. Uh, so all that said, Tommy, appreciate there. you. Everybody watching, appreciate you. Tommy, Sam, Tammy, uh, uh, Franca, everybody in the chat, thank you so much for tuning in. If you're listening to this after the fact on Apple, Spotify, all your favorite platforms, Appreciate you. Share with your friends, and we will see you guys again next time. Have a good one. <laughs> I didn't know how to take that one off. <laughs> Peace.